Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrier. And we are not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. And welcome to the show. We want you to know before we get started that all products we talk about will be mentioned on our website, forever35podcast.com. And we have some exciting news for listeners of our sister podcast. Gee, thanks. Just bought it. There is now, there is now a Facebook group, which has been long requested. It now exists and the URL is facebook.com slash groups slash G thanks. Dory is in there asking for help looking for a laptop pillow. Look, and I, and I got help and I ordered a lap desk. So 
it's already paying dividends for me. <laughs> um, I recommend that everyone join. Most um, importantly. Yes. Um, also, as Kate and I mentioned previously, we are each doing two hours of office hours every month. Um, we would like to give priority to people who are from underrepresented um, communities in podcasting. So if you feel that that um, represents you, please reach out. The link to fill out the form um, to meet with us will be in our show notes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, this is a real, you know, I hate the phrase pick your brain, but this is a real like you can pick our brains for half an hour. Yeah. Ask us anything. It's ask and, us and anything. We should clarify. We are not doing this together. So if we oh, if yes, you yes, yes. sign up, you'll only you get, get one of us. One of us. <laughs> it was like it, it's hard enough to coordinate our schedules to record and then to coordinate for an, an additional two hours was just, uh, you know. Who can do it? We couldn't figure it out. <laughs> we couldn't. It was but too this difficult. Way we can also like meet with we more can, people, which is exactly, exactly. Um, and also we are running a listener survey. So we would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it if you could fill the survey. It helps us. It helps the show because it helps tell advertisers who is listening to the show and then they buy ads in the show and then the show is allowed to continue. So please fill out the survey. It is at www.survey.fan slash forever35 and that will be in the show notes as well. And as always, you can call us or text us 781-591-0390. Our email is forever35podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group which you can join. It's for our 35 podcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Forever 35 Podcast and on Twitter at Forever 35 Pod. Yes. And now, let's start the show. <laughs> How's it going? Mm, I just got a haircut. Go on. I got my, I got a quarantine haircut. Okay. Okay. Tell me it. everything. Tell me, tell me how this happened. I mean, the way it happened was that I wanted a haircut and I got one. Um, but okay, the but long beauty story, salons are closed right now. Beauty so salons are closed. Tell us how you did this. Yes. I, okay. So I have not had a haircut since I think September. My hair has gotten very long, which is fine. Uh, and has been fine, but. You know, my children's hair has kind of gotten a little um, length and also just it needed some help. And I was really ready for a haircut. And my beloved hairstylist, Chai, is seeing clients outside masked. Oh, yeah. She we should say that only indoor beauty salons are closed, but you can give haircuts outside. And But a lot of most salons are not set up to do that. Yes. I mean, there is a barber shop near me that just has a barber chair outside and a barber giving haircuts <laughs> right out on the sidewalk, which hey. I find I find kind of delightful. Um, but this was, you know, I, like, I have a relationship with my stylist. Um, we like, she knew, you know, our quarantine boundaries. And I, we talked, you know, she was clear about how she handles things and she's very meticulous in her cleaning and space giving and her mask wearing and my kids and I all wore masks and we didn't touch except for her hands on our hair. And um, I feel really, I feel like it was a good decision. 
That's great. Now, you had been talking briefly. You had been you had been contemplating perhaps go, going short. Yeah, I'm still long. I went long. I stayed long. Okay. I I approve. I really like your long hair. You were the first person I think to compliment my long hair and it made me feel good about my like I hadn't even really realized it had gotten long and one day you were like, "Oh, your hair." Um and I'm I'm just kind of, you know, I have not had very long hair in about 20 years. And I should say, like, when I was in college and high school, I had, like, you know, hair past my boobs. I had a girl on fish tour in 1997 hair. <laughs> and it's kind of getting back there. And I, it's very hot. Like, having long, it's very hot. Yes. But I yes, also like yes. how it looks. I really like it. And so I'm, I'm, I feel like this is a fun time to just explore a new hairstyle. And, you know, my plan is to just grow it and grow it. And whenever I cut it, I would like to donate it if I can. So I don't know. I have long hair now, Dory. That's who I am. I'm I'm into this for you. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, I was really, I was, it felt really nice. And like, I have one of my kids, like they have very thick, thick hair that is really kind of bothering them right now. And so it really mm. helps to have it handled by a professional. Um so I felt like it was a good, I don't know, it was definitely a, a thing we we all really wanted to do. So I'm glad to have done it. I just have, to go, I have to go vacuum up a lot of hair out on our patio. But <laughs> so. Uh, so that's, um, that's what's happening over here. Fresh hair. Fresh hair. That's exciting. Neither I haven't cut my oh. hair since November. October, November. Are you contemplating an outdoor trim? Or is that just not on your agenda? It's just not on my agenda right now. Um, I am not confident that the, that the person who cuts my hair is maintaining social distancing. And I don't think I would feel comfortable having them cut my hair right now. Um... And my hair is long. Like I think if if my hair was short as it has been for a lot of time in the in, in recent memory, then I would feel or if I, I still had bangs, I would feel like, oh gosh, I really need to get my hair cut. But now my hair is sort of like long and straight and it's like, eh, all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't I haven't like sought out a haircut, nor have I sought out hair color. Just kind of like, all right, this this is this is it. I mean, great. <laughs> it is what it is. It I, is what it is. I, I feel I feel completely just like neutral about it. You know mm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I do. I mean also like it, it is it is for many of us, it's not necessary. So like you're good, just let right. it grow. Okay, but you know what I don't feel neutral about? what my eyebrows oh fascinating you're i feel like my eyebrows are like out of control okay this is fascinating well weren't you growing them out for a while yes yes i i mean i have been growing them out for like two years but as part of that growing out you know you still I, i was still getting them shaped every few months and i'm now so nervous about 
maintaining them myself because I feel like in the past I've really overplucked mm-hmm. that I'm I'm scared to touch them myself. And now I just feel like they look like two caterpillars. I was just going to say, can I make a suggestion? Just don't, don't pluck them. Just I mean, I'm not, but just like, maybe that's your style now. I don't love it. I think I would feel, I would feel more confident about my quarantine eyebrows if I had like really big bushy eyebrows, but I have just sort of like stubby bushy eyebrows. Do you have a clear gel? Yes, I believe our new podcast sponsor, Anastasia oh, yes. Beverly Hills, sent us a clear gel. They did. What I've only just... used, I've only tried the eyebrow pencil, which I love. I like it too. That's what I've been doing when I'm like doing my eyebrows for fun. That's what I've been using. And it's, it's quite a treat. But quite frankly, like I'm not, I'm not using it every day, but you know, you're right. I should just try the gel and see what that does. Because that just at least will, will shape it, but you're not actually like yeah. tweezing it or plucking it or cutting it into shape. Yeah, I have all but forgotten about my eyebrows. Like I don't, I plucked. But you have nice eyebrows. Mm, But so do you. What Mm. is a nice eyebrow anyway, Dory? Come on. (sighs) A nice eyebrow has is like uh, like has an arch and kind of like extends far. I don't know. I'm just I'm not a huge fan of my eyebrows. They're also like the. The hairs are different colors. Mm, interesting. <laughs> this is another weird thing about my eyebrows. Like they tend to grow in blonde, but then they change color halfway through. So my eyebrows are like half brown, half blonde. Wow, that's so exciting. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's so interesting. I've never exciting. heard of anyone <laughs> When it doesn't happen to you, it sounds exciting. Um. So I don't, so that's why I really like eyebrow pencils because I can, I can just, you know, color in my eyebrows. But I also, it's like we're in quarantine. I never leave the house. I'm not as motivated to, to like do my eyebrows, but then I see my, oh gosh, I really sound, I really sound neurotic. (laughs) (sighs) Maybe like maybe other people can relate. I really hope so. You're not the only one out there with eyebrows. I, I I hope I'm not the only one who is fixating, who's channeling all of her quarantine neuroses onto her eyebrows. Please tell me, listeners, that I'm not the only one. Well, you know, I do think everyone has a thing that like, like I have, I don't really think much about my eyebrows anymore. I used to, or like my bikini line or any of that stuff. But like, everyone has a thing, you know? That yeah, you, that you like wanted want to tend to in a way that is not accessible right now. Yeah, that's what yeah. I think. Okay, that that seems like a reasonable analysis, Kate. Thank you, Dory. I also think your <laughs> eyebrows, having seen you on Zooms, they look great. Oh, thanks. So thanks. I don't know, believe in them. I believe in them. Also, they um, change t- color. Sorry, they change color. I, I don't know. It's very weird. Like people who have professionals who have done my eyebrows have been like, huh, did you know that your eyebrows are like two different colors? And I'm like, yes, I know. Yes, I've This noticed. is why I'm here. <laughs> I tell you, it's hard to be me, you know? It is, Dory. It's hard to be you. It's really, really tough. Um, wait, can I tell you one other thing that I've been doing 
that is actually fun. Yes. I feel like I am scratching my shopping itch in Animal Crossing. Go on. Are you doing this too? <laughs> yes, I know what you're talking about. In a, in like, this- I'm just... I'm just strutting into... The, there's a clothing shop in Animal Crossing. Let's every clarify, day. too, though. Animal Crossing is a video game we play on the Nintendo Switch. Yes. I you are a tiny character. People have, have noted this. Yeah, We've they've mentioned heard. it before. Yeah, I know. Um, and there's a, there's a virtual currency that you do not... You do not have to buy with real money. It's, it's all in the game. And you can spend this virtual currency at the clothing shop, which is called Able Sisters, or the general store, which is called Nook's Cranny. Um, so, you know, I just like strut on over into Able Sisters, get in that fitting room, and just put on some bizarre outfits because every day <laughs> the stuff in the shop changes and some days it's real wacky. Mm-hmm. Like I bought a Viking hat the other day. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> we should say that the, the last time you, you were able to visit each other's other players' islands, and the last time you visited my island, you were in like a hot dog outfit. Oh, yeah. That was a gift from, from a Forever 35 listener. Oh, you chose to wear it to my island, so clearly you were expressing yourself. <laughs> I was. For a while, I was wearing um, a caftan and a face mask. I, I also have like a robe and a face mask that I wear often <laughs> that feels... Very on the um, nose. Anyway, I'm just finding that it's like really fun to go in and like spend my bells and buy a bunch of shit. And there have been days where I've been like, oh, I shouldn't buy this thing. And then I'm like, who cares? <laughs> also, it's like, it's a video game. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. I shouldn't spend all this money on a pair of shoes. Oh, wait, it's fake. <laughs> oh, so Dory. it's fun. <laughs> I mean, the other day, as an example, I was wearing what they call a noble dress, which is like basically looks like something that like someone in the the royal family would wear like in Game of Thrones. But then I was wearing it with my mohawk wig (laughs) and combat boots. Oh, my God. (laughs) It almost sounds like an outfit you would have like longed for in like 1994. Oh, totally. For a while, I was walking around with an eye patch. (laughs) What's interesting in hearing this is that I kind of dress like myself in this game. Oh, interesting. Like, I like to wear jeans and high top sneakers a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, well, my most recent outfit, I was wearing ripped jeans and a skull T-shirt and DJ headphones. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And high top sneakers. (laughs) So the same thing, basically. Yeah, just like you. Just like you. (laughs) Anyway, enough about me. What else has been happening with you? Oh, I want to talk about mask knee. Okay. Okay. Okay, Let's talk about it. This is a hot topic on the internet. And I have it under, I have it along my chin. Um, Okay. I'm definitely breaking out more along the bottom of my face. My daughter has been complaining about a rash from wearing her mask um, during the day. So I was curious if you have experienced this. I've been reading up on mask knee. People have kind of asked us what to do about it. And so I had some thoughts. And I also wanted to hear how listeners are handling it. Um, because it's it's annoying and irritating. It's not comfortable. 
Well, Kate, may I um, resurrect an email that came into the Here For You podcast? Yes, please. A couple of months ago, we heard from a couple of dermatology residents, if oh, you that's recall. right. I do recall. And that blew my about mind. Maskne. And so they had some suggestions that I, I, I would like to read, if you don't mind. I would love to hear it, Dory. Okay. So their first suggestion is to wash your face every morning with an over-the-counter benzoyl peroxide wash. Okay. And they say anything containing 2 to 5% benzoyl peroxide is good, such as panoxyl acne creamy wash, which has 4% benzoyl peroxide, or Neutrogena clear pore washing containing 3.5% benzoyl peroxide, which they say kills the bacteria that contributes to acne. So that's like number one. And then for spot treatment, they say to dab on a benzoyl peroxide cream, such as Neutrogena's on-the-spot treatment, which has 2.5% benzoyl peroxide, which helps dry up individual pimples. And then they say apply a retinoid nightly to your entire face, Whoa! which helps turn over your skin cells, which helps unblock pores and prevents acne as well as wrinkles. They recommend using different... 0.1% gel, which can be bought at the drugstore for less than $15, but you can also get prescription retinoid creams from your dermatologist. Um, and then they have a few notes, which is that different can really dry out your skin and make you more sensitive to the sun. So you might want to start every other night work up okay. to nightly Noted. retinoids can make acne worse for the first couple of weeks before they make it better because pimples that were already brewing will be brought to the surface. Like um, retinoids are not safe for use in pregnancy. So don't use different if you're pregnant or planning to become pregnant. And benzoyl peroxide will bleach your towels and clothes if not rinsed off completely. So rinse thoroughly or use a white towel. Okay. That's all very helpful. Right? Yeah. I'm intrigued by that. My so, other suggestion was going to be to wash your masks. Yes, and wash your mask. Which, like, <laughs> was not a thing I realized I should have been doing until, like, three months into this experience. And did we... I? I feel should like I you mentioned... That? No, but I feel like you mentioned that you had bought lingerie bags at some point, right? Yes, I did, to wash my masks, which I've been meaning... Yes. I should have been washing my lingerie in it for the past, you know, 35 well, years, but... Better late than never. Better, and you know what? I am still don't wash my bras. I've literally never washed a bra. I mean, a sports bra, yes, but wow, I'm just being met with silence over there. <laughs> no, I'm just, this is, I, I mean, you've mentioned, you've said this before, this I've is not new information, no. but I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah. Never. You've never washed one. Never. Ever. No. no. I mean, like, okay, I'm sure I've washed bras, but it's not like people are always like, I wash my delicates in the lingerie bag. And I'm like, what? What are, What? Like, I don't ever, like... Do your bras ever stink? You know, I have to say, not really. Maybe it's just a very long armpit story and, like, the BO doesn't <laughs> get down there because I do smell. Uh, and my sports armpits. bras... <laughs> I have a long torso. Maybe I have long armpits. Uh, but if you if, if you have long armpits, wouldn't wouldn't the smell travel farther? I, I truly, wouldn't it be less smelly if you had short armpits? I'm, I now I'm sitting here rubbing my armpits, feeling like where does my bra start? My bra starts like there's a significant chunk of like arm flesh from my bra to my armpit. So the they don't really. Sm I mean, I'll sniff them in a little bit after the show, but. 
Um, and I will try to make a more concerted effort to wash my bras. I mean, look, do you, if you haven't been washing your bras for years and this has not been hurting you, I mean, great. All that being said, though, I wash our masks regularly now. And I think that, I mean, I would also say use a very sensitive detergent since you're, this is something you're putting directly on your face. Um, but wash your masks. And then I'm reading, I'm, I was actually reading a New York Times article on mask knee and they make a very good point, which is use fewer products because the mask is holding all that product delivery. I'm quoting now. Sorry. I don't want to plagiarize the New York Times says the mask will intensify product delivery to your skin. You've seen the side effect of occlusion in action. If you've ever say treated dry cracked feet by applying Vaseline and wearing socks to bed. Isn't that fascinating? Yes, that is very interesting. And then also of this, um, this dermatologist that they're quoting in this article says no makeup, which seems like a good tip. Yeah. So how are you dealing with your mask knee? All you mask wearers out there. Yeah. Let us know. Let us know. <sighs> All right, Dory, well, we probably want to take a little break here. Shall we? Let's, let's do that. I'm going to go sniff my bras. <laughs> <laughs> See what's going on over there. Uh, all right we'll be right back quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling superpower short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me Let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I I, don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it, like, the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just, like, sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like, get this off of me. <laughs> 
No, thank once you. Once you once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass, but this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college, so... This is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. 
Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Our guest today is Meredith Toulousin. Meredith, welcome to Forever 35. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. Um, I'm going to read Meredith's bio, and then we're going to get into it. Meredith is the author of the memoir, Fairest, an award-winning author and journalist who is also the founding executive editor of Them, Condé Nast's LGBTQ plus platform, where she is now a contributing editor. She's contributed to other books, including the New York Times bestseller, Not That Bad, edited by Roxane Gay, Nasty Women, and Burn It Down. She writes frequently for the New York Times, The Guardian, The Atlantic, Wired, Condé as traveler and many other publications. She lives in the Western Catskills with her spouse and rescue Mutt. And Indeed. yes, and we're we're just really excited to have you on the show. Um, we were chatting a little bit before the recording started going, and I was just saying, you know, I've I've known you for years because we worked together at BuzzFeed, although we were never in the same office. Um, and it's just it's been really wonderful for me to watch your writing just reach a wider and wider audience. Um, so I'm really thrilled. I was really thrilled to read your memoir and thrilled to be able to get to talk to you. And I've been thrilled to see the amazing reception that your memoir has gotten. Thank you so much. And and actually, you're being modest because because in certain ways, this is all your fault, Dory, because I, you plucked <laughs> me out of academia. Um, and hired me as a staff writer at BuzzFeed. So, um, so I would probably be, you know, still, you know, still in, in the library for hours and hours studying various forms of global poetry in various languages if it weren't for you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I am always here to talk people out of academia. <laughs> I mean, especially if they are wonderful writers who, you know, I could hire. Um, but yes, it was, it was really a joy to work with you and to, and to read everything that you wrote on BuzzFeed. And I've just really enjoyed following your career since then. Um, but I would love to start with knowing a kind of a basic Forever 35 question. <laughs> what are your self-care practices? Yes, um, they have evolved over time. Uh, mm-hmm. We moved to the Western Catskills um, about a year ago from Brooklyn, which ended up being a fortuitous move given, you know, given what has transpired since. Yeah. Um, and I think definitely self-care was a really big part 
of that decision just because as my work just sort of started getting longer and longer and, you know, kind of like being disengaged from the news cycle um, and me needing, you know, kind of a lot of concentrated time just because it's really hard to maintain momentum, you know, for a book when, mm-hmm. when you're con- constantly bombarded by all of these different stimuli. Um, yeah. You know, so the move itself, I think, you know, like I would say that the move itself was an act of self-care. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also had to adjust to the fact that a lot of my existing forms of self-care were one are ones that I don't have as much access to now, right? So I mm. used to, I've been, you know, just like a, a really avid dancer. I've done modern dance for a really, really long time, you know, essentially since even before college. And, um, and that's just been a really important space of self-care for me just because I'm the type of person who's just constantly thinking about Mm -hmm. a million different Mm -hmm. things all the time. And there's something about like not actually being that great of a dancer and needing Mm -hmm. to like only think about counting and like keeping up with steps for an hour and a half a day. And, you know, just having that sort of like concentrated period where I'm only thinking about one thing has been, you know, has been really important. I also have been an avid lap swimmer. Um, and that was relatively recent. I learned that from Lydia Yuknovich of all people. Mm. And, um, if people have read chronology of water, it's really amazing. She was a competitive swimmer. And then, you know, like she also talks about swimming as a meditative practice. And that was something, um, you know, that I picked up from her, you know, like about four years ago now. Um, but now that, you know, I don't have, I'm in the woods, I definitely take walks, you know, and am in nature um, more often, which is really great. Um, I've also gotten back, I guess, like the biggest, biggest influence in my life in terms of self-care is an obscure practice called Feldenkrais. And I don't know if either of you are familiar with it. A little bit, but we have never talked about it on the podcast. Ooh, I'm very excited to dig into this. Yeah. um, So Feldenkrais is, um, is a method. It's sort of a body movement method. It's often compared to Alexander technique. Um, It has similar principles, but completely different. um, It has similar principles, but completely different ways of teaching. Um, Mm -hmm. So Feldenkrais was developed by this um, guy named uh, Moshe Feldenkrais, who was a physicist in Marie Curie's lab, while also being um, a champion martial artist. Um, And so he was really obsessed with figuring out how the body can move in the most efficient way possible. Um, And, um, oh, and as an aside, one of my big methods of self-care is dating body workers. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am married to a massage therapist, um, and he is not the first massage therapist that I've been in a serious relationship with. Um, in fact, everybody that I've lived with since transition has been a body worker of some sort. So that's a self-care tip. Um but um but yeah, but one of the 
you know, the people that I dated was a uh, Feldenkrais practitioner and he um, just introduced me to this whole idea of um, moving as efficiently as possible, letting go, not needing to use muscles that you don't need to use. Um, a really concrete example of this is actually um, that you can, you know, like think about or even practice right now is when we move, um, when we get up from chairs or when we get out of bed, for instance, the typical thing that we do is we exert effort upwards using our muscles in order to get out. Um, and as we get older, that becomes more and more difficult, especially the bed part for me. Um, but what you can actually do is rather than using momentum upwards, like muscling upwards, you can actually work with gravity. So you just swing backwards and then use the momentum of swinging backwards because gravity is with you to go forward, you know, to get out of the chair so or to get out of bed. So, they, so I do that now whenever I need to, um, you know, whenever I need to get out of a sitting position or a lying position. And it's so much more efficient than trying to sort of muscle your way. Um, out of bed or out of a chair. But I think over time, you know, because I um, practiced it so intensely for, um, you know, that gets been over a decade now, that has also extended to other parts of my life, including my emotional life, right? You know, so mm -hmm. now it's relatively intuitive for me you know, to sort of say to myself, okay, like there is this difficult situation that I'm dealing with. Um, but I need to, you know, but like, what are the parts that I don't actually need to think about emotionally? Um, and, you know, like what is the best way for me to emotionally sort of like cope with the situation, retain the parts of it that, um, that are meaningful or important or the lessons that I need to learn from it and let go of the other parts, right? Um, and that's been really important, um, both in terms of, you know, kind of like dealing with a news cycle, dealing with, you know, dealing with being a trans person in a world and especially an administration that is, you know, hostile towards trans people, mm. as well as being an author, right? You know, just because, just because you, I feel like, you know, like publishing a book, my, my book was published at the end of May, you know, in essentially like right in that inflection point um, between COVID and um, the George Floyd protests. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like that was super, super, you know, like having those years of learning how to, you know, how to um, go about the world in a way that um, I don't have to expand energy that I don't need to expend mm -hmm. was just really, really important, you know, just coping with that time, um, you know, just sort of like balancing, balancing the pandemic with, you know, all of these career and, you know, and events and pressures around promoting a book and at the same time being present for um, that the really vital and long overdue reckoning around race um, that, yeah. you know, that happened during that period. So is that something, Meredith, that you taught yourself to do? Like that's such an emotionally developed way of 
going through the world. Like it, that sounds like something that I would need to be in therapy for 10 years to get a handle on. And I just, it sounds so beautiful to connect a physical practice to a mental practice. Did you just kind of come to that on your own? I think it was, um, I think it was a combination of things really. I think, I do think that um, being intensely involved with Feldenkrais for such a long time. And, and I was also, you know, I've also been in therapy for, you know, for a number of years. I'm not in therapy right now. Um, you know, like I do think that those insights evolve over time and develop and you do, I don't know, like I do feel like, um, I'm definitely a super, super different person, um, now, you know, because I, I grew up in an environment where my parents had me when they were very young and they didn't really kind of like understand the principles of unconditional love as a parent, you know, because they were Mm. in their teens when they had me. So they were still at that stage where they were trying to um, like figure out what it means to be an adult. And so I just grew up with the sense of that I could only be loved if I was good. And if I was, you know, Mm. like if I was smart and if I did things well and so for a really long time, I, you know, like I was just holding on to so much of that, right. That, that, um, that whatever, you know, kind of like achievements I had was super, super tied to my sense of self and emotional well-being. Um, and I think that was sort of the beginning of me realizing that, oh, I can actually apply these these physical principles to the rest of my life where, you know, like where I can still be a conscientious, dedicated person who pursues goals and who is passionate about the things that I'm learning and studying, but I don't need to do it for the purposes of, you know, being loved and pleasing um, Mm -hmm. and hoping that people love me. Right. Um, And I think ironically, you know, getting to that place of vulnerability and getting to that place of admitting to myself that no, like I'm not the best all the time. Right. Um, was actually like a really key part of me being able to open myself up to, you know, to being, um, in a long-term relationship and, um, and now married, which is very bizarre to me even <laughs> as I say it, because, <laughs> I I do I did have a life as a you know like as a queer radical you know just sort of like marriage blah person you know like as a youngster so there's still a part of me that's just sort of like oh you know it's so funny um, to talk of myself as being married but I am um, I'd love to talk about your book um, so your book is about. It's it's your it's your memoir of growing up in the Philippines as as you say an outcast among outcasts. You were an albino, you are an albino, um, and kind of your experience with that, and then moving to the U.S. and going to a, a gr- being in a poor community with, as you say, your young kind of struggling parents, and then going to Harvard um, as a gay man, and then transitioning. I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> Um, it's, and like, I'm it's basically like four memoirs, but yes. I, I, yes. couldn't, I couldn't sell four memoirs, so I just had yeah. to. Like, you have lived many lives. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm wondering what the process of writing this book was like for you, because you know, just 
based on what I've known of you, you've always been an introspective person. Um, But was the process of writing this memoir, like, did you kind of come to learn more about yourself as you were writing it? Or were there, were there times in your life that you revisited and had a different perspective on? Um, Just kind of curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, I think I highly recommend that everybody write a memoir, you know, just because for me, it, it has really has been a really big part of me understanding myself better, you know, especially because the periods that the memoir covers um, are periods in my life when everything was moving so fast and I didn't mm-hmm. have time really to introspect. Um, yeah. And even though, I've done a lot of personal essay writing. Usually it's tied to a news event, right? Like it's usually tied to something topical um, that I'm writing an op-ed for. And so, um, and so it was really, um, it was just really, it just became really important for me to be able to tell my story on my own terms. Mm. And I think even, even the really, really basic understanding that, it was easier for me to transition because of the fact that I'm albino and I've always been different my entire life mm. was something that I just didn't really, I was not at all thinking about at the time that I transitioned. Right. It took me actually, you know, like sitting down thinking about my life and just being like, Oh wow. Okay. Like that's part of the reason why I wasn't, nearly as intimidated um, by transitioning as so many other people, because so many people wait, you know, um, years, sometimes decades to transition because it's such a difficult process. Whereas, you know, I was just sort of like, oh, I'm trans. I guess I need to transition now, right? Like my transition process would literally, I mean, from the time that I realized that I was trans to me, um, getting gender confirmation surgery was like a year and a half, which was just intensely fast um, yeah. in retrospect. And I probably in retrospect would have, you know, like would have slowed down just because there was definitely like a lot of whiplash <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. just sort of like, especially transitioning in your early twenties, um, this sort of, you know, there's this sort of like anonymity that you experience as a young man that you don't, you know, when you are, you know, like a young, blonde, thin woman out in the street. Like everybody has an opinion about how yeah. you should look and who you, sh- who you should be. And, um, and everybody like wants you in a particular way, but not in the way that you want them to want you. <laughs> So, um, you know, so having to not having really a lot of time to adjust to those realities um, was super difficult. And and it's probably something, you know, like I, I do want to write about that period of my life, you know, that that this this memoir covers um, up until my transition. And I'm really interested in like what happens in writing about what happens after, which I haven't yet, you know, so whether in essay form or whether I decide to write another book length work or, you know, sort of like transfer some of those concerns into fiction, it's definitely like a period of time 
that's super fascinating because it's essentially like, it's basically like being 13, except I was like 25, right? It was just sort of like discovering all of the things that you discover as a teenager, but Mm. like being an adult and not having, you know, like not having people around you who treat you as a teenager and who protect you like a teenager. Mm. I loved, I loved reading about your kind of evolved relationship with makeup and beauty. Mm. And it seems like that was also happening during this time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that when I was in early transition, the thing that's really fascinating to me now is that the reasons why I love being a woman now have nothing to do with what I imagined I would love about being a woman when I began to transition, you know, because when I started transition, I just was just sort of really um, swept up in, you know, like in the attention and just sort of like perceiving myself as beautiful and, you know, and people paying attention to my appearance and, and in ways that they didn't before. And also like having, all of this freedom of expression, right? You know, like being able to wear all of these things that I couldn't wear and, um, you know, and experimenting with makeup. Oh, by the way, something that's really funny was that as I was transitioning, I was working as a technical assistant at MIT in a cognitive science lab. And a cosmetics company actually um, gave us a ton of money. I can't remember, like more than $200,000 as a discretionary grant just to study anything related to makeup. And so essentially, I had, um, I ended up doing this project where I was studying how foundation affects the perception of skin. Um, And so basically, I had this unlimited makeup budget to, um, you know, that was, that is like MIT funded. Um, and I had all of this carte blanche to study beauty and, you know, like what beauty means and look at beauty literature, et cetera, et cetera. So that was also like a really odd part of that experience was that, you know, was that unlike, you know, unlike many other trans people, I, you know, like it was actually my job to study makeup. Um, and so, and so that was also, you know, that was just like a really heady, fascinating period. But I think, but I think over time, um, I became much more aware that it wasn't actually the makeup itself that I was really, really fascinated by. It was more, it was more the sort of like underlying um, ways in which people related to me and perceived me. Um, and mm-hmm. that as I got further, you know, like further along in transition, um, I was able to sort of divorce that perception from the makeup itself. So that now I just go through various phases. There are times when I don't, you know, like really wear makeup at all. Um, and there are times when, you know, like I really want to have fun or like dress up for an event or, um, and it isn't as like, you know, it doesn't feel like, oh, in order for me to be a woman, I need to wear 
so and so, you know, like this much makeup, right? And that's been, you know, like that's been a really liberating part of my existence. And I think, you know, that really started around the time that I started working in BuzzFeed, you know, which was, you know, which was mm-hmm. 2014, 2015. Yeah. You have this really um, poignant passage in your book where you talk about uh, the relationship you had with a man named Barrett, uh, who told you, I know you're trans, but I can't really tell. It's a lot harder to see where to see you were an Asian man when I can't see you as Asian to begin with. To me, you're just a woman with a dancer's body. And you write, I know by woman, he meant white woman. I wanted to be pleased, but was surprised at myself that I wasn't. Can you tell us about how that comment, that interaction kind of shifted your view of yourself and how you wanted to be perceived in the world? Yeah. Um, you know, that, and, and, you know, that relationship happened around that period, right? Um, that was, that was late 2014. And I think, I think for me, I, um, because I transitioned at a time when it was understood that if you can be perceived as cisgender and you can disappear into the world as a cisgender woman, that's what you do. You know, that you don't tell people about your past. You don't, you know, just because it, it welcomes all of this discrimination. Right. And, um, and there was this degree to which, you know, kind of like Barrett's relationship with me and the way that Barrett saw me was such an extreme form of that where even when I told him that I was trans, he just couldn't perceive me as trans. And there was this part of my brain that was just like, oh, like that's that's the goal. Like that's what you want, right? Is to just move through the world um, as any other woman. And And then it was like that moment itself where that, where it felt wrong, right? Like where I had this just like really visceral response to that realization. Um, and I think it really, in a lot of ways, kind of catalyzed my decisions around writing on trans issues, being openly trans, you know, like being sure that people that I dated knew that I was trans from the beginning. Um, because also there's this thing where, um, you know, like I think before the Barrett moment, People that I dated knew that I was trans, but they only knew it like in intellectually, right? Like they only were aware of it to the extent that like it was something that I revealed to them, but they had this underlying expectation that I would behave and be like any other woman, including expectations, by the way, like around domestic labor around, you know, like who gets to make sacrifices around career, um, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, um, and I think that, and I think that I realized that I couldn't, I just couldn't live in that bubble of presu- of like being trans, but acting like I'm not trans. Right. Um, and it's been, you know, just a super, super liberating, wonderful experience to be able to, you know, to be able to express myself completely and still find myself, you know, uh, you know, like wonderfully um, having, you know, like a really supportive, um, you know, a really supportive network of friends and loved ones and, um, and yeah, and intimates, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. That's, yeah, that 
that passage just really, really struck me. So I, it's, it's great to hear you kind of illuminate it. Thank you. Thank you for pointing it out. Um, it's yeah. one of my, it's one of my favorite parts of the book. Definitely. Mm. Um, can we shift gears a little bit and talk about your experience as a child star growing up in the Philippines? Uh, sure. Of course. Um, well, first of all, can you, can you kind of describe what your situation was to our listeners um, and what your kind of career as a child star was like? Yeah. So basically when I was, I think I was seven, my mom um, just came home one day and was just like, okay, like there, they, there was this, um, albino comedian in the Philippines, you know, who was well known. His name was Redford White. I mean, he had a sitcom, which was popular in the Philippines. And my mom just came home one day and said, um, and said, oh, well, you know, they're casting for, um, for the kid of, um, of this actor and I'm going to take you to audition. And I just didn't really, I don't know, like I, I just didn't really think of it as anything serious or anything yeah. meaningful or, you know, like I was just like a seven year old kid. Um, and, and my mom had, you know, like has notions all the time that she doesn't follow up on. So I wasn't, I didn't really take it seriously. Right. Um, you know, but then we went to the audition. Um, and the thing that I remember about the thing that I most clearly remember my, about my audition was being handed the script, you know, like, and my mom saying something like, Oh, I bet you can memorize that. That's so many words. Um, and which was exactly, she knew exactly what to say right. <laughs> to get my competitive juices flowing. So that by the time that, you know, because we, you know, we did the scene a few times by the time that, I got to the sort of like final, final stage of the audition, which was like at the end of that day, I had already memorized the scene and the director was really impressed that I could learn lines that quickly. Um, and, I, and so I think that that was like the big factor that led to them casting me. So then I was just like a Filipino sitcom kid for several years. It was, you know, like one of the top rated sitcoms in the Philippines. I, you know, magazine articles and appearing in variety shows and being recognized on the street and, you know, like all of that stuff. Um, and, and then um, when the show ended, they actually tried to cast me in the most popular soap opera. Oh my um, gosh. In the Philippines as like the villain of like the main character. Um, oh as like the nemesis of the, the, I was like the, the evil stepbrother to like the mean character wow. and, I and I refused and I, I just like ran away to my grandmother's and said like, I don't, I can't do this because, because, because I was so like, I was just so beside myself that I wasn't doing well in school. So mm -hmm. this is like a reflection of Meredith's personality. But the wonderful <laughs> thing about that experience is that I have no, I have absolutely no desire to be famous. You know, like I, I have, I know I have a lot of friends who I think, um, you know, just like want to have that feeling, like what would it be like for, you know, like for strangers on the street to know who mm. you are at all times. Right. Um, and I know what that's like, and I know that that's not something I want. <laughs> yeah. You wrote, you wrote a really great essay about that. 
Yeah. Um, yes. At yeah. Buzz, at BuzzFeed, right? At BuzzFeed. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I talked a lot about this sort of, this sort of idea of giving celebrity space and being able to, and just, and, and that, I don't know, like I'm very conscious about the fact mm-hmm. that, um, that when I interact with a celebrity and I praise them, you know, like I'm doing it for me and not for them. And mm. so I try to, you know, sort of like give them leeway and, and be able to sort of like interact with them in such a way that, you know, like I'm respecting whatever boundaries I sense and, and, um, distance, et cetera, et cetera. That said, I've, I've gotten, I've gotten my picture taken with a bunch of celebrities at BuzzFeed. I was just looking at, um, this picture I took with Darren Chris. um, when I, I think it was like, I was, I had been at BuzzFeed for like two weeks or something like that. Um, and well, there like, are always oh, Filipino celebrities. Ce- Filipino celebrity <laughs> <laughs> must do a picture for to show my family in the Philippines. Oh. <laughs> do you wow. feel like there's any part of your experience as a child star that kind of influences the person you are now? Yes, um, I think that I'm unusual in the sense that I'm an extremely outgoing person who is also in certain ways highly reclusive. Mm. And I think that that's, that's in part um, influenced by my childhood, you know, because I think I have a natural tendency to be gregarious and crave attention and be like the center of, you know, like be the person who people are paying attention to in the room. And, um, I got all of that and more, mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. so I think, you know, like I oversaturated. And so as a result, you know, like now I'm, even though I really enjoy being around people and, am you know, naturally outgoing, I really, really value my, um, my solitude and which mm-hmm. is, you know, which is a good quality, I think for a writer, you know, because I'm simultaneously, you know, like I, I simultaneously crave that alone time, but I can also, I'm also comfortable in these situations. Um, and I know a lot of writers um, tend to be, you know, tend, tend, you know, a lot of introverted writers have a really difficult time sometimes, yeah. with, you know, being in public, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Meredith, I, I feel like we could talk to you for hours. I mean, I know I could. Yes. Kate, I, I don't want to speak for nope, you. Nope, speak for me, Dory. I'm <laughs> um, enthralled. But uh, I, we should probably wrap things up. But it, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. And I really encourage all of our listeners to buy your book, Ferrist, and just yes. follow you, um, follow your writing and your your thoughts on, on Twitter and elsewhere. Where can people find you if they do want to follow your work? Yeah, um, I am. I frequent Twitter and Instagram. Those are my two favored um, platforms. And I'm one, one Demerith. So it's one, the number one Demerit with an H um, on both of those platforms. And um, my website is mtalusin.com. If, you know, and I have a mailing list there where, um, I usually, a lot of my, a lot of my, um, you know, sort of like emails is geared towards other writers or, you know, like other creatives thinking about, um, how to, you know, how to be a better creative person. So if that's something that interests you, um, yeah, you know, like definitely sign up for my mailing list. 
Great. Well, thanks again for coming on. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. And please support our show and tell them we sent you. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Well, I, for one, really enjoyed talking to Meredith. Oh my gosh, I did too. She's such, she's just, she's just so wise. I also loved her book. Yes. It was her book like, is really, really good. Yeah. It was a great read. She was really fun, really fun to talk to. And also I, I like, I had like, I just had like such pleasure imagining her in the East coast and like the will, like the Northern wilderness. <laughs> oh, like, it totally. made me like very like, homesick. Yes. Yes. I know. She sounds like she has a really like lovely life. <laughs> no. <sighs> yeah. Dory, talk to me about your intention this week. Okay. So last week, my intention was to call two friends on the phone. 
And I did speak to one friend on the phone and it was really great. And I'm playing phone tag with another. So baby steps. But good work. I'm feeling feeling like pretty good about it, you know, overall. Yeah, you did it. You accomplished it. I accomplished it. Um, And then this week, now that it's like slightly cooler out, like 85 degrees instead of 90 degrees, I I really need to make sure I get outside for at least a short walk every day. I think this is like, because I'm in such a like book frenzy right now, because I have to turn it into my editor September 1st. Oh, God. And I'm like really frantically like working on it from morning to night, essentially, that I feel like it's made me even more of a hermit. And I'll like emerge from my office (laughs) at like five to see Henry kind of like blinking as though, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) So I really need to, um, I feel like I just need to take a break in the middle of the day and, and, and just like walk around the block or something. Right. So that is my intention for for this week. It was something that I was really good at the beginning of quarantine and that's right. You were like devoted. I was really I was really devoted to it and I still do I still do an occasional I did a lot of walking with Henry over the weekend. Um but during the week I'm just like I get so focused on work that like I then I look up and it's like five o'clock, which is like when his whole kind of like dinner bath, bedtime, call my parents routine all starts. Um, And it's too late to go on a walk. So I I need to, I don't know. And I don't necessarily need to walk with him, but like, I like walking with him and he loves going on a walk. So, you know, it's always nice. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Point being, I need to take a walk. (laughs) (laughs) Um. What about you? How how did how did laundry go? Okay, I got so many messages from listeners commiserating about laundry and I will compile them to share, but that felt really good because I felt very seen. <laughs> I was not alone. Aww. And literally after we recorded the podcast, I was like, I'm doing it. I put all the laundry was on the bed behind me. I then put it back into the basket. I was like, I can't, I can't do this right now. I don't have the fucking energy. And then I, then the next morning I woke up, I dumped it out on my bed. I did my office hours calls with listeners with the, my, my laundry spread out behind me. And then I think I again uh-huh. put it back in the basket and didn't deal with it. And finally I gave the next day I gave myself 20 minutes and I did it. I set a timer yes. and it was like basically done in 25 minutes. And I was like, this is so fucking crazy. Ugh. I still hate it. <laughs> now, currently there is laundry waiting. And I should, I also should clarify. Someone was like, have your husband do it. He folds the laundry. It's like me putting my own laundry away. Okay. Like it's like, I, I would, I would not want my husband putting my stuff away. I don't know. Like, I don't want him. Yeah, I, I hear yeah. you. But anyway, I mean, but, Matt, Matt and I do our own laundry. Okay. We have the, la- we do like family laundry, but like everyone, like our kids fold their laundry and yep, we, yep, yep. we do each other's. Um, so he, he is actually a help, but, and he puts his clothes away pretty consistently. It's me. 
Anyway, so I'm working on it and I'll share some of the tips people sent me. But this week, Dory. Yes, you know, talk to me. Today I was tootalooting around our Google Drive and I clicked on the episode document from episode three, our third one. We were interviewing Jasmine Gilroy. It was like a weird flashback to go back and look at this document we had made over two and a half years ago. Wow. Yes. I don't know why. I was like, I wonder what my intention was like early on. And I had written more music, less political podcast. And I was like, oh, huh. I'm going to, I'm going to take that for this week too. So I like that. I, you know, I am, you know, I'm very interested in being informed and active um, in what sure, is going yes. on politically. But I think that I could stand to listen to more music, like when I'm cooking, when I'm cleaning, when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm walking the dog. So as opposed to just like listening to the 50 different political podcasts that I now have back in my rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they yep, never yep. really went away, but you know, it's a, an election year, Dory. Got a lot going on here. So yeah. I'm just going to pop in my Taylor Swift folklore tape into my Walkman and listen to that. Uh, I love that. I'm really enjoying that album. It's it's really it's really it's really good to do work too, I find. It's very peaceful. I really mm -hmm. like it. I gotta say. Yep. Can't hate on it. I agree. So it's a more music week for me. That's where I'm at. Okay. I'm I'm into that for you. And if anyone has any like gentle wrecks, oh, and you know what? I think Phoebe Bridgers released a new album, and I haven't even listened to it yet. She did release yeah. a new album that I also have not listened to. So I've got a lot of work to do. I love Phoebe Bridgers. So you know, I'm on it. I'm listening to some okay. tunes. Okay. Okay. Well, on that note, on that note. It's been it's great time, talking to you. It's time to go. Yeah. It has been great talking. Listen, I just want to say, don't worry about your brows. Oh, thanks, Kate. Thanks. I appreciate that. But do send me a close-up pic of them because I am curious now <laughs> what they look like. Uh, okay. Well, mm -hmm. shall we, we wrap things up? Okay. Yeah. Here it is. Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. And Sam Reed is our project manager and we will talk to you in just a couple days we will bye bye <laughs>